This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. To learn more or to subscribe, visit beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. It's episode 342 of the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast, and for this episode, we're in the brew house for Beerstadt Lager House, but my guest on the podcast today is Natalie Rose Baldwin, brewmaster for Wayfinder in Portland, Oregon, who just happens to have family out here in Colorado and was making a trip, and so we thought because it was going to be convenient, we should uh, meet up here and have this podcast that we were actually talking about in the same space, but welcome to the podcast, Natalie. Hi, uh, thanks for meeting me in the brewery here. The, our last meeting was in this same space at their uh, post-GABF party. Tiki party. The Tiki party, <laughs> which was a fun one, uh, definitely. And so it was good to good to connect there. And I, I'm sure I pitched you on the idea of doing a podcast. And yeah. now it's all coming back together. I, I, I say I'm sure because I'm a little foggy on all the details of that night. I think most people are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Ashley brought out the Shambong that night. I don't know if you remember that, but uh, I'm pretty good at chugging champagne, apparently. Oh, my goodness. And uh, my little brother was here with us, too. Oh, yeah. And he's like this big 6'3 hockey player, and Ashley handed him the Shambong, and it was gone in less than one second. So, yes, it was a foggy night for all of us. When I was in Portland last year uh, working on video classes or Fresh Hop class or, or Josh Freen class that's yet to come. Um, so if you're an All Access subscriber, subscribe to the Craft Beer and Bring All Access tier. Get access to our great video classes. The Kevin Davey class that's out there uh, yeah. right now on cold IPA. When I was in that you know Portland Yakima area, uh, made a point my first day there to swing by Wayfinder. And I specifically asked the uh, the beer tender that day. What are the beers? Because it was still in the early days of, of uh, your Wayfinder beers. Like, what are the beers on your list that Natalie has designed and brewed? And uh, he had two beers. And so I was like, I want both of those. And uh, so went out, sought out your beers. Um, you know, over the years, I you know, a couple years ago, I was at the Deacon Pub with uh, Ben Edmonds before one of our Brewery Accelerator events there. Um, he was like, you got to try this beer, these Natalie beers at the Deacon Pub. Because you're the R&D brewer for Breakside right before this. And uh, you know he's been one of your biggest champions, and so we we're all excited to see when you uh, you know took the helm at Wayfinder. Uh, anyway, through this episode, we're going to talk about uh, West Coast Pacific Northwest Coast pills. <laughs> I, I think it's a specific subgenre of West Coast pills as to be differentiated potentially from San Diego, you know, and Southern California iterations of West Coast pills. We'll, we'll kind of explore some of that territory. Yeah. Um, one of one of your beers that I had at that that uh, at Wayfinder at that visit was a fresh hop Keller Pills with Strata, which made my own personal top ten list uh, of uh, favorite beers that I've had this year. Um, and so, you know, for all of those reasons, I'm excited to talk to you about this. Uh, you know, in this episode, before we do that, at G and D Chillers, they always strive to build great chillers partner with them as you build great beer. Kevin Troger from uh, Bearded Iris Brewing says, G&D Chillers have been a valuable partner throughout our growth. They build high quality equipment and know their machines extremely well. Most importantly, their customer service is best in class, which is a huge value add to our internal teams that manage these critical support systems. End quote. Choose G&D Chillers on your next expansion or brewery startup and receive one free year of remote control and monitoring of your new G&D Chiller. And turnkey brewing systems, production line design services, retrofitting processing systems, 
ProBrew can do all of this and more with any brewery, old or new, small or large. With an expansive list of breweries already served, their engineering team prides itself on providing a true turnkey solution built for your entire production line that can be easily customized to fit your operation. For more information, fill out their contact form on www.probrew.com or email contact us at probrew.com to learn exactly how they can take your operations to the next level. ProBrew, brew your beer. Also, Old Orchard has supplied flavored craft juice concentrate blends to over 46 states for the production of fruit-forward beer, cider, seltzer, wine, spirits, and more. By partnering with some of the biggest names in the craft brewing landscape, Old Orchard has become a go-to source for fruit-forward ingredients. To learn more and request your free samples, head on over to oldorchard.com slash brewer. All right, Natalie, we normally start off the podcast with a little bit of history. Tell us yours. What got you into brewing? And uh, how did your career progress from there? You know, I got into brewing sort of accidentally and really feel lucky that I've been able to sort of have the opportunities I've had, but also have worked really, really hard to kind of make my way through it. And it's a really fun story, I guess. Uh, Sort of simple, but I was my college job. I was going to school for biochem and was having a hard time keeping up with school and work. And my job during college was a, I was a valet parker. So I've driven a lot of cars and I just was having a hard time keeping up with school. So I ended up dropping out and kept my college job and was curious about um, science still and was really interested in working in like hair chemistry. And I wanted to go and learn a little bit more about like color theory and, you know, uh, dye and all that kind of stuff. And so I moved to Portland, was going to go to the Paul Mitchell school, got there and just couldn't really pull it off. So I had transferred with my valet job and um, didn't make any money. So I needed to get a second job and started uh, bartending at a brewery. And started learning from the brewer there. thought it was pretty cool. And, you know, similarly to what I was interested in, um, in color theory and hair and stuff like that, you know, science, science and art, as everyone says, I've always been a maker, whether it's sewing or building, or I wish I could draw and paint a little bit better. Not really one of my skills, but I'm just into making things. And, you know, the creative outlet is exciting and you know the same reason you hear a lot of people in in the brewing industry so nothing new there but i really like it and vibe with some of the creative outlets i have in it and uh anyway i learned to brew at burnside brewing in portland oregon which is now closed but at the time was pretty cool similar to breakside in a lot of ways as far as the aspect of um cool food and food inspired beers and stuff like that and Um, I was working there. That's kind of where I learned how to do all sorts of tinctures and flower beers and tea beers. And I had a lot of creative freedom and I just kind of ran with it. And after a couple years there, I was ready to learn a little bit more about, I don't know, nerd out with Ben Edmonds, basically. (laughs) Um, I remember my Ben Edmonds, you, (laughs) uh, yes. The ultimate brewing education under, under Ben. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of built off of that a handful of years ago, the Oregon Historical Society did a family tree of brewers, which was really cool because, you know, each state or each big brewing region has those big breweries that sort of turn out employees that start their own breweries, whether that was Full Sail and Deschutes and Widmer and, you know, all uh, McMenamins also and all the like, you know, family tree roots that went out to some of the smaller breweries and 
it's really cool to have been a part of Breakside because I've watched that happen since starting there. And, you know, it's become a pretty cool infrastructure and um, left Burnside to work at Breakside, which is confusing. They are different <laughs> <Yeah>. words. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I got to, you know, nerd out with Ben and and learn a lot. And he curates a really cool team over there. And, you know, I just I, I loved Breakside. I loved working there. And then he got you brewing on that three and a half barrel tiny system at the oh, decom yeah. pub doing R and D under the stairs. Oh yeah. Oh man, what a what a fun what a R&D. cave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, when I started at Breakside, I was hired on as a production brewer yeah. because I, you know, didn't know a lot about technical aspects of brewing. I, I got, you know, my feet on the ground and my foot in the door working over at Burnside, but it wasn't quite as technical and working over at Breakside, it was like, Oh, I don't know anything at all. Cool, cool, cool. And, you know, being in the production environment, it was, you know, there's something very fun about being a very good production brewer and, you know, being good with timing and just turning and burning and knowing how to fix stuff. It's, it's very fun. But again, just kind of have always leaned more on the creative side. So when um, I don't think bored is the right word, I just sort of like needed a creative outlet. And so I started, um, we were working four tens at the time at Breakside. And on my three days off, I worked at a winery during wine harvest. Hmm. And, uh, you know, just to work 90 hours a week for fun when you're in your early 20s. (laughs) (laughs) And I can't do that anymore. But uh, that was sort of like my creative outlet. And then at the time... um, the R and D brewer left and there was a a big shift, you know, the breakside was opening a 10 barrel brewery and we, you know, had a 30 barrel brewery, a 10 barrel brewery and a three barrel brewery at the time. So it was just kind of who was brewing where and, and, um, there never really was a consistent R and D brewer at the Deacon location. It was just a bunch of people rotating through and, um, I ended up kind of just liking it a lot and getting to know the system really well and having a lot of fun and uh, yeah, definitely not the ideal brewing conditions, but I loved it. So, and what you were, I mean, I remember drinking a lager that you brewed on that tiny little three and a half barrel system that was rather compelling. You know, Ben was super proud of it and uh, it's yeah. like, you got to try this. Um, you know, and so, yeah, you were undertaking some ambitious things even within that kind of small scope. Yeah. I think that I didn't really know that, I think that I had been in these like bigger brewing environments, especially in production brewing where, you know, you're not like touching everything the same way where you brew the beer, QA team does gravities, um, takes care of everything. And, you know, I had done that at Burnside and, but you know, when you switch over to production, it's just a whole different ball game. And when I had the opportunity to have a little bit of, um, flexible schedule and, you know, not be part of the production beast, I was like, well, this is what it looks like. I'm fine. And, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a funny little brewery underneath the main original Breakside pub. And, uh, it's a hot little cave, um, with the, uh, glycol chiller in the room. Um, but yeah, I've, you know, produced a lot of really great, 
um, award-winning beers on that brewery since Breakside opened, and I got to be a part of that team, and very proud of that. It's, you know, every great brewery has some of these like humble origin stories, and you see the you know the first system that Ken Grossman brewed on for yeah. Sierra Nevada, and yeah, you know, when you see that first system of Breakside, and it, you know how uh, Ben was brewing in early days, yeah. and that tiny little space, you're like, oh, okay, you know, everyone has earned what they've achieved. Totally, and it's amazing to see uh, what that brewery is. But then. You know, Kevin Davey decided to hop in with uh, Lisa and start up Gold Dot and join Heater Allen and uh, Wayfinder. Yeah. He became brewmaster for Wayfinder. Yeah. So, you know, I wasn't really looking to leave Breakside because I was very happy and, you know, did a lot of really cool stuff there and felt like a big part of my identity was tied to that. And when um, Kevin decided to leave Wayfinder. I hadn't really applied to the job initially and then decided to put my hat in the ring and um, kind of felt like one of the only spots in Portland that was, you know, a good fit for me. And most of my career focused on lager beer. And uh, I don't know, not that it was a Wayfinder thing, but just just kind of funny little little lager beers that weren't necessarily um, always true to, to, to tradition. Um I like to be nerdy and stick to things when they're supposed to be a very certain way. Isn't lager, but um, Goza is like my baby baby. Um, I went to Leipzig and uh, 2018, I got Pink Boots scholarship. And on top of the Pink Boots trip, I ended up going to Leipzig because really focused on making Goza. And I ended up a couple years later, um, having some success at GBF got, uh, gold for the Goza that I've been working on. I felt very, very, very proud of that. But point being whenever, um, somebody, we get like a new staff member at Breakside and they'd be like, Oh, uh, have you ever thought about putting, I'm like, if you fucking tell me to put fruit in the Goza, you're out of here. Um, but yeah, so point being, most of my career is, you know, some things you vary. Choose, you choose what you're dogmatic about. Exactly. Yeah. Like, I, I like to get weird. I like to have fun. Um, and, you know, the the structure of Wayfinder is really cool because there's a, you know, people know it for lager beer. And that was something that's very close to my heart. And I, you know, kind of wanted to see what the customer allowance and brand allowance was for. I don't want to like, I think esoteric can have sort of like an egotistical connotation. But to me, um, when I use that word, I want it to mean more like just a little bit weird, um, and thoughtful and, and whatever, but yeah, taking over at Wayfinder has been pretty cool. Um, there's something that is like core edgy about the Wayfinder brand where you, yeah. you expect to, you know, push things a little bit and, yeah. uh, you know, but within some reason, right. You know, it, it's gotta, you know, it's not, uh, it's not the craziest ingredients, but it, it does need to be the coolest beer. Exactly. I, I like that. That sounds. Um, but, you know, changing from being a, a lead at a brewery that has, you know, a big team to being the boss at a smaller brewery is a, a shift. And I felt pretty prepared for all of that, you know, with with the skills that I learned at Breakside for I can't remember if it was six or seven years, but for a hot minute. And um yeah, ready to ready to take that on and have been learning a lot in the last year. And, you know, whenever you think you know anything about anything, you are quickly reminded that you don't know shit about shit. And uh, I kind of think that's fun because uh, I don't know, it's just it's fun to learn. And I have, as most people do in the beer industry, the the network I have of, of folks that are willing to like hold me up while I'm in this learning stage has been really incredible. And uh I don't know, super rewarding and fun and 
nerdy and hard and brutal, but also, I don't know, all the things. It's been pretty fucking cool. I think, you know, when people ask me what traits make up those traits of the greatest brewers, it is that constant openness to learning. And it's those brewers. And I will tell you, amongst some of the world's greatest, most award-winning and most highly respected brewers, every time I have conversations with them, they are wanting to learn about things from other younger brewers, from folks that are pushing new, trying new techniques. And they value that every bit as much as sharing what they know because we're all contributing to this broader pool of knowledge in the brewing world. And so um, it is those folks that think they have it all figured out that actually are probably probably in the worst shape out here. And so obviously that's no one listening to this podcast (laughs) because anyone listening to this podcast clearly wants to, to learn from how other people are doing things. And so We'll use that segue to talk about how you do some of these things in that kind of Pacific Northwest IPA realm, which is, of course, big for Wayfinder, um, both in the regular IPA world and in the cold IPA world, um, which really are just shades of difference for each other these days. Um, And then also, of course, in the, you know, the traditional lager space and in the hoppy lager space, both of which where you're choosing your own dogma to explain those. Before we talk about those things, streamline efficiency with Omega Yeast's diastole knockout series. The DKO series is comprised of eight familiar yeast strains engineered to knock out the formation of diastole before it starts. The strains you know now better available now for made-to-order pitchables at any volume. Contact Omega Yeast today at omegayeast.com. Also, ABS Commercial has been a full-service brewery outfitter for over 10 years. They're proud to offer brew houses, tanks, keg washers, and preventative maintenance parts to brewers across the country, as well as equipment for distilling, cider making, wine making, and more. They know the ins and outs of the brewing and installation process and can design the perfect setup for you, whether you're just starting out or looking to expand. Contact them today at sales at abs-commercial.com to discuss your customized brewery needs. ABS Commercial, we are brewers. And are you planning a brewery, considering the purchase of an existing brewery, or are you working in the industry and kicking around the idea of realizing your own brewery vision? If any of these apply, go to breweryworkshop.com right now. Check out our upcoming Brewery Accelerator, March 24th through 27th in Austin, Texas. Some of our favorite award-winning brewers are joining us to help share the knowledge you need, like Marcus Baskerville of Weathered Souls and Joe Morfeld of Pint House. This will be the only Brewery Accelerator event in 2024. So don't wait. Secure your spot now at breweryworkshop.com. All right, Natalie, where should we start? Do you want to talk about IPA first and then lager? Sure. Um, you're going talk- to laugh at me when we talk. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I mean, Wayfinder, Wayfinder, actually, you know, the original cold IPA relapse yeah. was one of our beers of the year years ago. Yeah. Um, and so you walk into, you know, an IPA program, a Wayfinder that people have expectations around. Um you know, how did you take stock of things and, uh, you know, where have you uh, pushed over the last, you know, six to eight months since then? Yeah. So the reason I say you're going to laugh is because, you know, my my whole career at Decom and, and Breakside, I think I would maybe dry hop one or two beers a year because I just wasn't wow. making those beers because um, Dylan, who uh, after I left, they kind of restructured the R&D program and he's he's the boss now of R&D and running that whole program. But anyways, he worked at the Slab Town location and he was he made the hoppy beers. And so I just didn't have to. And uh, you Plus know, you I, have, if you're going to make hoppy beers at Breakside, you're going to sell enough that you need to make more than three and a half barrels of exactly. them. Exactly. Um, you know, I had uh, 
bit of success with the reinvention of Woodlawn Pale, which is a longtime breakside beer and, and uh, loved making that. So that was my beer that I dry hopped every year for competitions. And that was about it. Um, and then I started at Wayfinder and I was like, oh, fuck, I have to make IPA. How do you make IPA? And, you know, worked at this, you know, brewery that is... I mean, Breakside won at World Beer Cup for, um, or GABF, uh, for IPA. And, you know, I fundamentally understand and know what good hops are and things like that. But it was, it was a little moment for me where I'm like, all right, you got to get it together. And, um, I've kind of been having like a blast making hoppy beer and, like you said, uh, around cold IPA, f- folks are excited to make their own cold IPAs, send them over, talk about it, um, want to make sure there's stuff on draft. And when I came in, there were like there was always OG cold IPA and would sometimes be an additional cold IPA. And I kind of switched it so that we have rotating cold IPAs. Um, and instead of just always having cold on, that's on um, during the fall and winter months. And we'll switch over to Jazzwich and, and another one over the summer. And I don't know, it's kind of fun to mess around with those and uh, do that. But I got an email today from uh, this morning from uh, Bart at uh, Pinta in Poland. Uh-huh. And he outlined to me, how many cold IPAs they now make per year, which is eight. How wow. many cold IPAs are made in the entire country of Poland? <laughs> and, uh, you know, and so it's funny. People are excited. It's fun to watch how this thing that started a Wayfinder just, you know, percolated out into the world and has become a thing. Oh, you know, it's, yeah, uh, it's and- pretty cool. But then it creates this weight of expectation for you all because when people come back to Wayfinder, I mean, yeah. you know, you have to deliver something for them. And when you talk to a lot of different folks around the U.S., and I haven't had as many international conversations, but, you know, there, there's people that have been making hoppy beer, especially West Coast IPA, with 3470 lager yeast for a long sure, time. Sure. And um, one of my buds, Jake, at Westbound and Down here in town, um, does makes really incredible beers that he calls West Coast IPA that aren't necessarily labeled as cold IPA. So there's a lot, a lot of really cool stuff people sure, are doing. Highland Park's doing the same. Exactly, right. for a long time. A lot and, of Southern California brewers now doing the same. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the whichever way you want to call the beer, it's ex- it's exciting when people are, you know, excited about innovation. And innovation is something that's super close to my heart. So I love that. And then for West Coast IPA, you know, I kind of, there's some other things. So like, do you now vary the yeast between cold IPA and West coast IPA? Or do you now also use lager yeast for your West coast IPAs and simply change the grain bill so that there's, it's not that adjunct focus. I've done a little bit of both. Um, right now, just because of hustle bustle, I've been using some ale yeast for our West coast IPA. Um, and you know, we have talked about kind of switching that to 3472, but it's a little bit more of, uh, I need more yeast to be able to do that. And it's easy to get Can't some. Can't you just prop it up with, you know, your loggers? Come on. Yeah, right. <laughs> the, you know, then we need it for loggers. But yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, so my my approach to West Coast IPA, and, and again, a, a funny part is, you know, you're as far along in, in your career as as I am 10 years in and um, pretty established. And a lot of these things I haven't done before because I didn't have to working at a big company. So this year was my first year doing hop selection. One of the reasons was because 
when hop selection happened and I was offered the opportunity at Breakside, I was doing wine harvest. And so I wasn't Mm -hmm. able to do hop selection. And, you know, I've participated in conversations around it and knew extensively about our hop lots and things like that, but I had never done that by myself. So this year was my first year and we're a smaller brewery. So hop selection isn't necessarily the most accessible thing. And um, YCH had a really cool um, open door project this year that allowed some smaller breweries to come in and do hop selection on um, sort of excess hops um, that weren't contracted for. And, you know, it's, it's nerve wracking to do that for the first time by yourself. And we have a small team and we're busy and didn't, we weren't able to send more people up this year. So it was me by myself selecting hops. And I'm like, well, hopefully I know how to do this. And I've learned a lot. Uh, my best friend, Sam, uh, works at Von Ebert and he's sort of been my steward through a lot of the hop stuff. Cause that's one of his big passion projects. And, you know, we talked through the hop um, contracts that we have at Wayfinder and sort of which ways I wanted to move things and adjust. And, you know, when I didn't really know what our West Coast uh, IPA was going to be, because I didn't know what I wanted to do yet, I didn't really know what to contract. And, you know, working with my suppliers and all that kind of stuff has been a, a really fun learning curve for me, honestly. And so that's, that's kind of my approach to West Coast IPA is getting down and, and learning more about my raw materials and picking and choosing, you know, the our West Coast um, flagship right now is called Winged Creatures. And, um, it's old faithful. It's the exact opposite what Kevin says in his cold IPA lecture. Like don't, don't do citrus and mosaic, but guess what? Kevy. Um, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> the truth comes out. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it does work. It does it's, work. I, we're making a really cool beer yeah, and, and yeah. then we can kind of branch off of that. And, you know, we're a newer team together and making dope beer and, um, yeah, one of the so now, yeah now as you get into making West Coast IPA and having to wrap your uh, you know all of these ingredients hops into it, uh, talk to, talk about your creative process. What does yeah. that look like? You know, and I love that you come out of this like creative meets science background, and so you know there's a little bit of that that alchemy that has to take place in there. How do you start thinking about? flavors and ingredients and you know do you start with what you want somebody to taste like work back from it do you start with the ingredients themselves and think about where you can take these and what's possible from them you know how does that does that creative process work for you i think it's a little bit of both um specifically with winged creatures um i am a big fan of crowdsourcing and gathering information like i just want to know even if I'm cooking something at home, I'm going to read 17 recipes and pick which things that I think sound good. And, um, you know, when designing that, I, I know how Breakside makes IPA. I know how Sam makes at uh, Von Ebert makes IPA. And um, I talked a lot with Jake from Westbound and Down just to kind of like switch it up a little bit and uh, learn some really cool techniques with some you know, maybe non-traditional ways to use hop extracts Mm. and things like that. So my creative process sort of starts with an end goal of maybe a a flavor profile and then, you know, building the recipe around it. Or sometimes it'll be like one ingredient, be like, I know that I want to use this super dank mosaic and the dry hop. And then what other things around it should I build? Um, In West Coast IPA, I like a lot of the... um, like tropical, dank, not necessarily pineapple tropical, but getting more in the like guava, passion fruit, um, that whole, uh, that whole realm. So I don't know, just kind of picking, 
picking what I want to end up with and, and building hops around that. And there's a slightly danker element generally to those, you know, Portland Pacific Northwest IPAs, maybe a little more so than, uh, the Southern California iterations of those. Yep. And I think that the, traditionally the bitterness has been elevated, but I think a lot of folks have, (laughs) I mean, a lot of folks have been sort of IPA bitter. Come on eliminating that though like even breakside ipa over the last handful of years has changed pretty you know same same but different and um i think that i'm trying to figure out exactly what i want i like assertive bitterness but i don't like um i don't like resiny ipas so like how do you make something that's not too juicy jammy but has enough structure in it and um yeah i've been been getting down with that i feel like you know switch a little bit over with um West Coast pills and or whole let, let's just go even in a, in a whole other direction. Um, something that I've been sort of fixated on, especially as like a lager brewer. Um, what are we going to do with these hops that are being feisty coming from Europe? And what ways can you have American hops taste cool in a lager beer, whether it's inauthentic or not? Like what what are we going to do? And you know the beer that you mentioned you tried at. Um, Wayfinder that was on your list this year, which was a very, very cool thing for me. Also, before we even talk about that, how did you, you said you were in there in town and you tried those beers and like when you're making the list, um, that your, your favorite beers of the year, like what about that beer was, um, exciting for you or what, what made it, uh, so I'm going to pull up my phone here. You know, I taste a lot of beers, you know, mm-hmm. a couple thousand in any given year. Some some I write reviews of for the magazine. Some I'm just tasting out and about. You know, some hit me in certain ways. Mm-hmm. And when something really hits me, I just stop and like pull up my notes on my phone. And then I just start writing about it because it's like, this is something that I want to, you know, keep more notes on. Yeah. You know, I, I check everything in and untapped that you know, I try to just so I can always keep a record of it. They have a quick, it's a great database. I don't score anything because that's super lame and nobody in the brewing industry should ever be scoring <laughs> things themselves on untapped. Um, but I digress. I use it just so, cause I can always keep track of what I've had. It's your library. Yeah. Right. It's just a data quick database that shows me what I have and I can go back. I also do that. I pull down that uh, spreadsheet at the end of every year, kind of go through, remember those beers that I had and where I mm-hmm. had them. And it's like, Oh, you know, and that's another part of my method. But, uh, you know, there was a, a moment like, you know, where I was sitting at the silver stamp last fall and had some Tilkan uh, goose, draft goose. And I was like, this watermelon character is something cool. I've never, never tasted out of Tilkan goose. And like you know, briny? A little bit, you know, a little bit, but it, you know, it just had that kind of cucumber watermelon mm-hmm. character to it that just, it just felt so bright and so refreshing. And, you know, we're in hot ass Las, Las Vegas. Um, the Silver Stamp is amazing. What a killer beer bar. Um, but all those things, I just, I went back, I, I never do this, but I went back the next night just to go drink that beer on draft again at the I same bar. I love when that happens. It's such a like, it's such a, a wonderful feeling because you just want to, you're like, was it as good as I thought it was? And then when it is, you're like, man, nice. I did. I went back the next night. And of course, uh, Dan from Milk the Funk was there and Matt uh, from Abel Baker. And so I actually ended up hanging out with them and cool. all these random kind of connections. It was really fun. Um, but I, I made those notes and, uh, you know, and I did the same thing, um, you know, for Wayfinder. Cool. Uh, it tastes like, you know, there's something about this. And I think the thing that, that struck me is that, uh, you know, there's this you know, grassy ish character to European Pilsner, 
which it should be there. And there was something about the idea that of the fresh hop flavor that worked really well in that context. That mm-hmm. didn't fight against that kind of uh, you know core you know grassy character, and that grassy character is is malt as much as hops, you mm-hmm. know. And that together it worked really well. And uh, yeah, and then the kind of restraint and subtleness of that kind of strata peachy note to it just just you know wasn't didn't need to be over the top. It just needed to hover in there and kind of soften and make things uh, really pleasant to drink. Anyway. It struck me, and so I, you know, I like I said, I don't normally make. I've made notes for about eight or ten beers this year, and that was one of or last year. So that was one of them, and yeah. uh, that that's how it ended up cool. on my list. Oh, that was what you were hoping to get out of listening to our critics list episode of the podcast, but then I didn't share my list. <laughs> I mean, and, I, I uh, heard a lot of really great stories, but I was like, this guy. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So the the reason I ask is to sort of answer your question again about um, process. So that beer was the whole. My whole idea was I wanted um, fresh hop strata to taste like pink, not like stank. And um, how do you do that? What do you do? Do you need a little bit higher alcohol? Um, do you need a little bit more malt sweetness? Like what do you do? And um, Again, this is part of messing around with lager beer and American hops. And what's interesting is that a West Coast pills not necessarily like what what can you do? What's cool? What what smells good? What tastes good? What is um, you know, I don't know. I'm just I'm I like to mess around, and this is sort of that like esoteric zone where like get a little bit weird, but not too weird. And my style in general is like delicate, um, light handed. Well, what was the process that you used? Cause I definitely, I mean, obviously the peach notes in there hit that pink quality for me. Yeah. Um, you know, what was it? You know, there are lots of different processes for making fresh hop beers. We have tried to catalog every single one of them. You know, the breakside approach is very different than the single hill approach yep. or the varietal approach. Um, you know, the the Fremont approach, and so you know, there's lots of ways to make really killer fresh hop beer. I was really taking. I loved the idea of making a fresh hop lager and not just a fresh hop IPA or pale yeah. ale. Um, how did you capture that character? You know, some of that grassy hoppy you know uh vegetal character grassy character but then also some of those softer fruity notes so what uh, a handful of years ago at breakside i made a fresh hop sterling pills and it was a keller pills also and it was you know maybe a little bit more kellery than than folks want keller beer to be i had a little bit of yeast veil to it and um something about that like lager yeast with the fresh hop oils just has this like really pretty like watermelon green grassy but like bright and not like bitter and I just really liked that so this year or last year I wanted to make a Keller Pills to sort of accentuate that but I wanted to use Strata instead of something like Sterling because I I wanted to get that pink so what we did was um, made a little bit higher alcohol Pilsner and I can't remember how I hopped it in the kettle. I think that I kept the BUs fairly low around 20 with a small charge of strata T90 in the whirlpool. And the goal was to actually get a decent yield out of a fresh hop pilsner with hops added cold side that were frozen. You know, that was, that's how I learned how to do fresh hop. That's definitely the break side method, right? Cold side, uh, fresh hop steep. Yep, cold side, fresh hop steep after you've fractured the um, flowers um, after freezing them with nitrogen. And 
you know, that's kind of how I know how to do it. And I, I know that you have a lot of loss because a lot of hop gets or uh, beer gets stuck in the hops in the bright tank. So the goal was to, you know, make it a little bit higher gravity, add some deaerated water to bring that, um, gravity back down into like Pilsner zone. But the, you know, something that we always talked about was artifacts of fermentation. Like when you do those higher gravity brews, whether you're diluting it with water or whatever later on, um, what, what are you getting from that higher from higher alcohol fermentation? You get a little bit of glycerol and mouthfeel and aroma and texture, you know, just all these different things. And I was like, so what, what about with like lager beer with a pale lager beer? Yeah. So I think some of that, like a little bit of strata in the whirlpool, a little bit of malt sweetness. And then, um, the, the beer sat on those frozen fresh hops for, I think two days. And we tried to get the earliest pick strata. So it wasn't super stinky and, mm. uh, worked with Brad over at Crosby and he was super great about making sure that we got the, the type of strata that we wanted. And, um, Ended up being a little bit later than I but was like expecting. An hour away from you too, so it's a pretty quick, oh, yeah, we quick fancy. drive to get them there. Yeah, woke up at six, picked up um, Jose, one of our brewers, and um, Jose has been in the brewing industry for a long time and worked at Green Flash before moving up to Portland. And you know, worked around hops his whole career. Never been to a hop field, so we got to go out there, pick them, and put them in the van, and bring them back and put them in the beer. And the the full romance of. Um, Pacific Northwest fresh hop brewing. But yeah, the, the main, um, goal of the beer was just to keep it pink and I didn't know if it was going to work or not. And it ended up not being too dank. And whether that was by the decisions we made or the, the luck of the hop gods, um, you tell me, but yeah, just some so kind of cool how, approaches. How do you freeze them with nitrogen then? Um, you, you're doing that yourself. Yeah, we did that ourselves. Um, there are a lot of really cool products. I, I mean, it's a, just a quick freeze process. Quick, fr- quick freeze with li- liquid nitrogen, crush them, put them in a hot bag, throw them in the tank. And that doesn't, you know, d- it doesn't uh, create more distracting kind of polyphenol characters. I mean, that I guess uh, not. Uh, I, I, it's interesting to me. I mean, because you you think that uh, you know one of the benefits of of that kind of whole cone steep of a fresh hop is that you know, it's not pulling some of the, you know, the crazier, less desirable characters out of it. But when you break things open like that, I don't know. That's yeah, and interesting. You have, have more contact and you're not, um, yeah. What kind of concentrate or what kind of volume of, uh, of fresh hops are you using or dang, let's see if I can pull this out of my brain. Um, I did go lower volume. I think that I did I'm trying to remember how much a box of hops weighs, whatever. Um, those of you who know, know it was two boxes of, <laughs> of cones. I don't know if that was 20 pounds or 40 yeah. pounds or something like that. Um, for a, it was like a 20 barrel brew and we diluted it up to like 25 barrels or something. Okay. Like that. So that's a pretty subtle, subtle, fresh hop. Just a kiss. There. Yeah. Um, amplified by a little bit of whirlpool T92. Yep. I think it was like two pounds in the 10 barrel batch. So just live barely. Um, and to kind of build off that, we were having fun and uh, I wanted to make a West Coast Pills and Crosby was doing a project where they were freezing um, fresh flowers and then um, putting them through their CGX line. And they didn't, um, since it was a project, they didn't pelletize them. They just had powder. So they, um, we were part of a trial program and we made a West Coast Pills that was um, 
some German hops hot side and then American hops dry hopped and included in the dry hop was the Strata um, CGX uh, fresh hop powder. Ooh. And um, ended up being- Were they nitrogenized and then, uh, you know, uh, pelletized for you, huh? Or yeah. not pelletized, but powderized. Exactly. So instead of doing that last step to pellet, so it was just that powder, they which is funny. Because we're like, all right, so what do we do? How do we get this powder into the tank? And um, we ended up, the, the product didn't smell as good as I wanted it to cold, but in the beer, it smelled great. And um, we ended up, we won our first uh, medal together at Wayfinder as a team. And for, I brought you the un- uh, fresh hop version is called altered state because it's hard to name beers and whatever but this is dope uh, west coast pills and we um, just made a non fresh hop version of it with um, the strata cgx just their regular not fresh hop and uh, from crosby and tastes pretty cool uh there's this cool like pink like we were talking about early it has some mosaic in there too so a little bit of dank a little bit of pink and at the end has this like guava passion fruit like pickup and uh yeah i don't know it's a it's a cool beer and i've been like i said i've been having a lot of fun doing projects with um, hop suppliers and messing around with hoppy beer it's interesting to hear that approach to building this kind of west coast pilsner Mm -hmm. versus some of the southern california approach which tends to be maybe a little bit more citra driven uh you know i just want to let's parse some of that out here in a bit but first ss brutech was founded by a group of homebrewers and craft beer brewers dedicated to bringing an engineering first approach to brewery equipment ss brew houses are used to formulate new beer recipes at some of the world's greatest breweries and are the cornerstone of many local breweries. To learn more about SS Brewtech's innovation list, head on over to ssbrewtech.com. Also, have you heard of Christian Hansen? They're the fermentation experts with over 100 years of experience in dairy and wine. They're now bringing that knowledge of microbes to brewers with their SmartBev range of frozen liquid yeast and freeze-dried bacteria. This portfolio allows for consistent performance at the brewery and produces a range of high-quality brews. Reimagine what your beer can be. Go to chr-hansen.com to learn more on the SmartBev line of products. I'm curious about this. So you've continued on this this west coast uh mm-hmm. you know pilsner brain but it also seems to make sense to work strata into this given that it's an oregon hop given that you're so close to it i mean there's almost a you know local and a regional story to it in addition to the you know the the flavors mm-hmm. that uh that make these beers your own rather than you know just carbon copies of a of southern california iteration on west coast pills yeah, I I think that, you know, we we built the West Coast. I made a couple since I've been at Wayfinder, but we built the the Fresh Hop West Coast Pilled Altered State Pills. Sorry. Um West Coast Pills Altered State around the CGX product. And um when we were remaking it, I'm like, is there anything that we can do to replicate that flavor? Probably not, but the closest we could get to some of the um, positive, sweet, juicy um, components would be a, um, you know, concentrated nitrogen pellet, which is why we chose that uh, Strata CGX hop. And yeah, like you said, the, you know, we started from, you know, maybe not necessarily an end goal, but more to see what something could do and what it could be. And when we liked that sort of building the beer around it with accessible ingredients, which you don't necessarily have all year. Right. And I know a lot of, um, 
hot producers and suppliers are trying to figure out ways to get people fresh hops who aren't in the Pacific Northwest and you know, I've done some projects with YCH at Breakside for their like 301 frozen, frozen fresh hop pellets too. And um, I don't know, sometimes it's fun to build stuff around an ingredient, not always because, you know, we're trying to be consistent, but uh, yeah, that was a, a particular cool approach. And what are some of the other West Coast Pilsner approaches that you've taken? Um, again, uh, pulling things from my brain. If you ask me what's in any of my recipes, I'm like, I don't know. I have to look. Um, cause it's an empty hallway in there, but, uh, I made a beer with Sam from Von Ebert and we went with like Southern hemisphere. Cause I really, like I talked about earlier, I kind of like that Venice white grape peachy passion fruit type thing. And we were just kind of messing around with beer. And I think we did like mosaic cryo citra cryo and then some like rawaka to get some of that passion fruit and we went a little bit heavier on um you know sort of pounds per barrel west coast ipa hot side with lager yeast fermented warmer than our traditional lagers but colder than a cold ipa so you know kind of i think we knocked out at like 52 f and kept it there and then did a temporary to like 57 or something like that. And it was a little bit more like West coast IPA with a Pilsner with some, or excuse me, with like lager fermentation. And, you know, I think that I, we also filtered that beer because, you know, I didn't have a filter at Breakside, but we find beers. And so I was sort of figuring out like, do I want to filter these beers? Do I want to find these beers? What, what makes, everything stay intact. And I felt like that first one we did filtering the West coast pills sort of stripped some of the sulfur that I wanted around Mm. and it still smelled and taste tasted great, but it was a little bit brighter pre filter. So now, um, we just find lightly find those and, um, don't filter them. So that's something that I've learned and, uh, liked quite a bit. Uh, but that's, my, that's my fun. Only you don't want to lose the sulfur. Uh, I, I love that nice little sulfur. And I think that's what I love about a lot of Southern Hemisphere hops is that they mm-hmm. have those adjacent compounds that, uh, and I find that they end up like, you know, I, I ended up describing them as like linen or even like uh, white floral or fresh, just fresh. You know, mm-hmm. they have this almost like, you know, water on a, you know, white uh, flower bud kind of, yeah. uh, you know, after a rain kind of a little bit of petrichor and a little bit of that just fresh floral element to them. And I, um, a lot of the things I do, I call it like witchy brewing where I'm, I could read about it and I could tell you why, but sometimes I just like having a feeling about it, which drives some people crazy. But like, for me, the idea is in my head, the way that it looks is like, you know, picture like a little cloud of hops in your beer. And then when that gets kind of like diminished a little bit, maybe like when you're smelling it, that little cloud isn't getting puffed in your face when you drink it. And, um, I don't know, just those, those stripping those, some of those sulfur compounds out, just, uh, took out some of the intensity that Mm. we were smelling before that. And, you know, trialing it the other way, at least with the hops we were using worked really well for us. And we've liked that. Um, that's interesting. It's almost like salt in that regard, right? Like it's not that it needs to be the flavor, but it also can bring out the definition and other flavors and other aromas. Yeah, I think so. Um, or at least that's what we've been experiencing. Hmm. So cool. Mm-hmm. Are there other hops that were, or do you, uh, you know, you're using a, the same kind of West coast Pilsner base for this, or do you vary your malt based on, uh, you know, the kind of hop intensity and the direction of these things? Um, 
I am using a little bit less characterful malt for the West Coast pills. So I'm not using something like sweet and characterful like mm. um, Byron pills. We've been using um, a couple different things. Uh, we just recently switched to Canada malting superior pills. I like that quite a bit. Um, super pale, um, dry, not inert, but not loud and not sweet and doughy. Mm-hmm. Um and have done some like raw premium pills and stuff like that. But I'm, I'm leaning a lot more towards those like American, um, straightforward, less characterful malts and, um, simple step mash. Um, again, I have to look at things to remember, but, <laughs> um, more, more and more movement to domestic, uh, malt wherever, you know, given, uh, you know, all the economic concerns on that. I mean, they also, we've we had some really positive, like the beers taste good. So it's not right. even just to, you, you know, obviously we're paying attention to our impact on the world by importing things. And I mean, still use a lot of um, continental hops and grown malt and things like that. But yeah, I've had a lot of success with those malts and they taste good. Sure. What do you use, uh, you know, those more characterful malts in? Um, I definitely will use some more characterful malt in beers that are, I want to be a little bit more, um, driven by malt. I mean, right, not, right. not to be too simple, but like, um, my, my little baby at Wayfinder, my first beer and kind of the thing that I've been running with is, um, French pills. Um, again, with my like esoteric vibes is, I we've been, not that French pills is a made up styled, but it's not not a made up style, right? Like, um, I like to make up beer styles, not to be. I Doesn't don't know. Alsatian sounds so much more lyrical and uh, romantic, but no, I. It yeah, does, but like yeah. we all know, if people can't order something off the menu, it's not going to sell. French, French pills, right? yeah. People are like, oh, I know what French is. Um, I love how you know. In America, if you name and you name something Italian, oh, that sounds interesting. It sounds oh my romantic, God, so right? Exotic. Yeah, and I say that because I grew up on a street called uh, Tuscany, yeah. Tuscany Place. You wow, know? you're so cultured, right? You know, but but if you look at like subdivisions in America, like how many? There's just shitloads of subdivisions in America, like filled with. Similar tract homes, yep. all named after Italian roads, Italian towns, and like you know. And so here we are trying to evoke these ideas of this romanticism on even some of the most mundane things. Yeah, you, again, we're having yeah, fun. Yeah, For me, yeah. it's like so these work. I mean, we love yeah. to like you know be snarky and cynical about uh, using these terms, but it's not like that's it's, it's uh, only unique to the beer industry. This is just yeah, a, totally. a broader, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, it's it's um. You know, we made a, a rose petal pilsner last year called Midsommar, and we released it on summer solstice, my favorite day of the year. And I'm just having fun. What do we call a summer pills? What's a summer pills? You tell me. Um, fun, fun, fun. We're about to make a uh, batch 666. Hell yeah, brother. Um, lager. And we're calling it a sparkling lager. What is that? I don't know. It's fun. I like it. Um, but anyways, French pills, I know some other folks are making that, but yeah. my, in, in my head, what it means is a little bit rustic. Um, at the time I couldn't really get Fra- Franco Belge. Is that how we, how we're saying this? Sure. Sure. Uh, I couldn't really get French, 
um, base malt, but I was able to get Dingaman's or Castle at the time and use Castle pills. So, you know, a neighbor doing my best and um, Stressel Spall is my favorite hop. And I really love that it tastes the way that rose petals and black pepper tastes. And when you add rose petals to beer, they taste like um, sort of black pepper and floral. So to me, Stressel Spalt tastes like rose petals and rose petals taste like Stressel Spalt. And um, Spelt is one of my favorites. So, you know, kind of getting this more characterful, sweet, um, doughy Pilsner malt and then adding a little bit of sweet, um, spicy, um, bodybuilding, you know, heirloom wheat. And it's kind of funny because I'm like building up the beer to make it dry. So I have all these like characterful things, but you know, stepping and mash out decoction, doing things that I think are creating a drier beer. Um, but also still having some, again, malt artifacts around and, uh, mineral forward, um, hoppy bitter, but still on that like floral black pepper range. And, uh, I don't know, just again, having fun. The first batch was, uh, one that I was figuring out how to make at the brewery. So it was kind of like, um, Alpine strawberries and whatever. And then, um, I learned that if you add magnesium to a beer that is getting decocted, you can pick up more melanoidin. And so the beer was like a little bit sweeter and darker than I was expecting. And then the next batch kept everything the same and took the magnesium out and the beer was like more pale and didn't have as much color pickup. So, learning, learning on the way here. And yeah, that the, the second batch and there throughout was a little bit more on brand of what I wanted that, like, whatever you think rustic is, um, a little, little bit rustic and a little bit fun. We do, we do filter it. So it's not as rustic as it could be, but, uh, that was my idea for that. So that would be a, a beer that uses a little bit more characterful malt, um, and, you know, traditional German beers and traditional Czech beers. We're using a lot of, you know, true to, true to style malts. Sure. Um, we just made this beer, one of my favorite labels. It looks like a cabinet of curiosities. It's very beautiful. Um, but it's called keepsake. It's a Vienna lager. And, um, like if you were to put this in a, st- in a competition, I don't know that it would fit to the style very well as a Vienna lager. It's a 50, 50 Pilsner and, um, Byron Vienna malt, and then a bag of a, caramel vienna just as or excuse me half a bag of caramel vienna just as a little bit um it's pretty pale um and has a little bit of tet in it and i don't know it's like that sweet um perfumey vienna malt but it's not super um doesn't sit on your tongue for super long and then just a little bit of tet so it's i don't know this is probably one of my favorite beers that we've made in a little while and it's just uh somehow exists without being too loud and mm. just has enough character. It's I'm excited for you when you get to try it. Cause it's a, it's a cool little beer. Sounds great. Um, I wasn't planning on talking to you about it, but you mentioned Goza earlier yeah. as being this dogmatic style that you love to focus on. It's certainly not something that we talk about much here on the podcast, mm-hmm. but I feel like I would be missing the opportunity to dive into you nerding out on the subject of Goza. And so, sure. Uh, you know, talk, talk to me about what you've learned in brewing Goza, but also visiting Leipzig and, uh, you know, doing more of that kind of background work on understanding how to, how to brew that beer. Yeah. So I remember when I was like an itty bitty baby brewer and Tanya Cornette came out with German sparkle party, which is a Berliner Weisse. And 
I was like, this is so cool. And I remember Whitney was opening the Portland 10 barrel location and Tanya was at the, at the opening and she was like, I'll introduce you to Tanya. And I was like, Oh my God. And, uh, now Tanya is one of my good friends and, um, you know, GABF roommates and we're actually speaking at CBC together this year. And anyways, Tanya's amazing the ultimate just amazing talk about people who always want to learn and are willing to do anything to make their beer better she is incredible and if you've never had a conversation with her about how she um continues to improve beers every single time she makes them um you could learn a lot from her she's great she Um, intimidated me when we did that podcast two years ago it was two years ago uh uh-huh and i've never had someone show up to a pot first I, we didn't have a lot of, it went through a, was she P, so prepared? It went through a PR person. And so I yeah. wasn't exactly sure that she even knew what was going to happen. Yeah. And I was a little afraid that it might not even happen. I drove all the way to Ben just for that podcast. Um, cause I'm insane by the way. We like to have fun. And, uh, she showed up with five pages of notes. Yeah. That's how she is. Like just, she was, I've never seen anyone that prepared mm-hmm. for a podcast before. Yeah. She's like that in everything. Um, but this is why she just perennially wins medals everywhere in every competition in these styles. Yeah. And, you know, working alongside her and Ben for a long time is, is one of the reasons or one of the ways I learned how to record data and pay attention and really absorb the things that are going on with you or going on around you in food and just experience overall. And, um, Anyways, uh, side rant, but uh, Tanya was making German sparkle party. And then when she started working with Ian, they make a a Berliner called Bay Window. And, you know, I just was really fascinated with their lacto culture. And, um, you know, you have some around town with folks that are maybe a little bit less experienced. And there's lots of weird sulfur and perm and rubber and all all sorts of strange things. And so I really wanted to make a beer that's in that low alcohol range. And um, I don't know what my deal is with wheat, I'm realizing as we're talking about this, but I just really love um, something that is so dry and so um, attentive to acid and, you know, still has you know, something going on. It's not just dry. It doesn't hurt, hurt your teeth. Maybe this was part of like, you know, when mixed culture beer was really having, um, a surge in the U S and I just felt like the, um, Berliners and Gozas were a little bit more approachable. And, you know, I really love the whole, um, briny, uh, savory aspect of Goza. I just think it's so cool, especially when it's well balanced with that lemony, limey, sometimes a little bit like tangerine passion fruit thing that you can get from a really nice coriander. And, you know, Breakside makes this beer called passion fruit sour, and there's a 90 barrel sour wort tank in the brewery. And there's, um, a heating element that keeps that lactose strain warm and, and ready to go all year. So, you know, it was really, really easy for me to uh, approach any sour beer because I had this, this strain, um, in, you know, at, at my full disposal. So my project one year is I wanted to make a Goza and I really loved the, uh, Rubens Goza at the time as like an American interpretation where it's just like Brewer's Gatorade. You can just crush that all day. It's so, um, just so pretty. And I made the first batch and we entered, um, North American beer awards and, uh, the Rubens Goza got gold and the Breakside Goza got silver. And I was like, 
oh, look, I think I kind of did it. Um, and that was a, a really cool moment for me in my career. You know, when, when you have your shit together enough where you can like actually do the thing that you're trying to do. And, you know, not saying that I hadn't been doing that for a long time, but it, that particularly was like a, a cool goal for me. But anyway, um, how do you build the recipe? I, a lot of it was around figuring out the like TA and pH of our house lactose strain. So figuring out different ways to have healthy fermentations without negative, um, sulfur or, you know, some, another thing is that like cold THP little beast, right? Like, um, sometimes with those quick sours, uh, all sorts of weird stuff happens. And like the strain at Breakside specifically had a, um, it just, it fermented out. So like when you, um, ferment it or when you kettle soured it, when, once the pH and TA was in range, there was an alcoholic fermentation happening. So when you boil the beer, you're boiling under 210 and boiling off a lot of the alcohol. So then you have this like lower alcohol fermentation, which sometimes kicks off a whole other different kind of sulfur. So, you know, getting to know different like yeast adaptations and, and things like that, that we were doing to create this really healthy fermentation was probably like the biggest focus. But the way that we designed the recipe was, you know, if our TA and pH were going to get as low as we wanted them to be, um, what do we do to make sure that the beer is um, not too dry because if you go to Leipzig, that beer is like golden orange and, um, malty and sweet and not necessarily the way that the American inter interpretation is. Um, whereas is a little bit more, you know, lemon, lime, pale yellow, um, with a wheat veil to it. And so, you know, being authentic to having malt character without being too dry. So, you know, a little mix of a couple different types of wheats, um, uh, not kettle finding. Are there specific it. wheats that you lean on them for that? For that, or yeah, add to it? combination of um, flaked wheat and um, what is regular wheat called? Regular wheat. <laughs> <laughs> sure, malted. Malted wheat. Nice. There we go. Was there unmalted wheat in it? I don't remember. Um, I believe that we had three different kinds of wheat in there in different proportions, you know, not trying to get too weird, but making sure that nothing was tasting like Play-Doh-y and gummy-y, um, but also had enough um, wheat in there so that you still had that little wheat veil because I think that my favorite versions of the beer did have that slight wheat haze to it. And when it got a little bit too clear, I just, the body just didn't match the way that I wanted it to be. And, you know, a big part of it was coriander selection, honestly, getting yeah. to know different corianders and when to add it. And, uh, definitely learned a lot. Um, found some really great Ukrainian coriander. Um, also liked Indian coriander quite a bit. Mm. Those are like my two favorites, especially like, we, we had one Indian coriander that we liked quite a bit that was very hard to source. Um, and as you imagine, Ukrainian coriander isn't super easy to source anymore, unfortunately, for a lot of reasons. But yeah, uh, yeah part of innovation and R&D, right? Um, sure. Sustainability of ingredients. And sometimes you have to pivot and beer styles change a little bit because of right. uh, availability. And Do you remember TAPH uh, goals for the finished beer? I don't remember that. I'm so sorry for everyone who just listens to my memory, <laughs> my lack of memory. I'm a referencer. I have to look at things or else okay. it doesn't exist. And then the salt component to that. I mean, especially mm, with those, mm -hmm. uh, salt's a big piece of it. Uh, you know, there's standard sodium chloride. How, you know, 
Um, but the intensity of that, you know, if you're American, you, you know, and you tell someone salt's in the beer, you want to put a shitload of salt in the beer, yeah. you know, but some subtlety to it would probably, uh, you know, be more in line with the, uh, the original. How, do, how did you balance that? And did, were there, was there salt that you leaned on that uh, gave you the kind of flavor you're looking for? Y'all are going to not believe this, but I think I remember something. Um, in that like three barrel batch, we're using like, a, I think it was like 125 grams of just sea salt. Mm. And I know people kind of mess around with some fancier salts. And um, we've done some trials, I believe previous to me that Ben had done with sea salt and um, just didn't really notice a big difference on like fancier necessarily or flavored salts and right. things like that. So we just kind of used... Um, a, a bulk sea salt and uh yeah it obviously adds a lot of weight to the beer and you know you're balancing the you don't want to make it like briny necessarily but i like to describe it as sort of the way sea breeze smells where you know it's salty but it's not like gonna kick you in their face or hurt your teeth or anything like that so um yeah not not too much um in order to avoid weight but enough to make it noticeable sure how did the uh, how did the Germans mash that, and how did you mash it? The mash, yeah. Um, we did a little step mash, and mostly because I'm stubborn and refuse to use white uh, rice holes, and so again, I haven't since I'm not a breakside anymore. I haven't seen that recipe in a little while, so I haven't. I don't remember all the way, but I think it was just probably three steps: one thirty-two, one forty-four, one fifty-eight, or something like that. Um, and just a careful beginning of louder and uh yeah just just try to not stick that mash with i believe it's over 50 percent wheat mm. again who knows though yeah and then normal the uh, alcoholic fermentation after the mash yep uh we just used um zero uh, zero one chico yeast and 66 knockouts 68 set the tank leave it and chill yeah. um did do some you know, uh, adaptations for the yeast so that they were uh, prepared to um, ferment in a low pH environment. And that was something that was super helpful for us. What do you, when you say adaptations, what do you mean? Um, you condition this on a more acidic beer before you pitched it or? Uh... Yeah, I would do like take my yeast pitch, um, some dextrose solution along with some sour beer, uh, and put that in the tank. Often it was a um, bit of the previous batch of Goza or just sterilized sour wort, put that in the tank and then um, fermented that. Yeah. I mean, obviously those bottling sour beer are also now preconditioning and acidifying their uh, their bottling yeast for the same kind of reason to, to make That's sure. That's what we got the idea from. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. No, no, makes sense. Do you, did you, uh, you know, close the tank at the end of fermentation for any of the natural carbonation or, uh, did you, you know, it was just post fermentation carbonation? Um, break side. So, you know, whenever someone wins a, a award from the Deacon Brewery, unless it's a lager beer, um, everything has been car uh, carved in a keg. Mm. But carved no. in a keg carved in a keg wow. racked racked flat and carved in a keg with head pressure huh. um because those tanks don't have carb stones okay um there's only a zwickel port on them and uh there's no force tank. carved in a keg a force carved in a okay. keg okay yeah. so i don't know i think when you feel like you don't have all the tools sometimes it's really frustrating but you can make world-class beer as a professional brewer in a lot of different ways and don't limit yourself because 
you can you can carb beer in a keg. It's gonna be fine. Obviously, like you know, there's there's ways that you can we, win gold medals for beer <laughs> carved in a keg. Yeah, yeah apparently. And uh, you know, there's there's parts of us that you know when you when I listen to Ashley talk or you know, some of my other friends that I respect a lot in the beer industry, there's ways that we want to do beer and there's ways that like, those are our standards and we are only going to do it these ways. But sometimes you are doing your stepping stone so that you can get there, whether that's a financial barrier, equipment barrier, barrier, whatever it is, you know, you can, you can make excellent beer if you hold high standards and make sure that you are doing everything in the most excellent, you know, nitpicky way as you're going through it with the tools that you have. There's different ways to be excellent and nitpicky and uh, that multiplicity of methods of being nitpicky. And even if you do things different than Ashley, you can still be friends. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, she's never, we're never rid of each other. We're we're good, good friends. (laughs) Well, we appreciate them giving us space here. Let's zoom out. Let's talk about, uh, you know, big picture. What's next? What's next for you? What do you hope over the next year or two in Wayfinder to, uh, to dig into and explore? You know, just kind of building off the stuff that we've been talking about this is my, I'm almost at one year at Wayfinder and I've been, you know, learning so much about what I fundamentally want out of a team that I'm working with and out of a brand and, you know, whether that's our sales team, our brewery team, whatever, like, I don't know, it's just so cool to be able to grow that. And like we were talking about earlier, whether you are the most seasoned brewer with um, access to every single um, class or equipment or whatever it is, you know, some, some of my team is, uh, Mike is pretty new. He just moved from, um, Georgia to work with us, um, from Monday night. He's just kind of washing kegs and was moving up here with his wife. And he is, uh, washing kegs and kegging beer and, you know, we'll write an SOP to have him work with, work on something. And he's like, Hey, I'm, you know, I did this and I think that there's a better way to do it. And it doesn't matter how green you are, but like, I love working on a team that wants to have conversations and, you know, it's a positive environment. So if you want to make a change, it's not like no one's cutting you down. It's, um, trying really hard to create an environment that we can all learn from each other. And, um, you know, challenge, I think sometimes has a negative connotation, but, you know, work and grow together. And I think that we're just going to continue to make better and better beer because we are asking all the questions and doing all the things. So, you know, like I was talking about earlier, making a beer styles, um, making that sparkling lager that we're brewing. Um, it's, uh, a 50-50 American malt and uh, environment pills, excuse me, American pills and environment pills with, um, I've never added dextrose to a lager before, but my goal is to make this just like super dry and super sparkly. It might be gross, but I'm going to try. And um, then it's kind of a little bit of sots, um, first wort, 30 minute, 10 minute. Um, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. It's it's, uh, going to be a higher carbonation. Higher carbonation, um, as as high as we can get it. Yeah. Um, mobile canning, don't hate me. Um, make some make some bottled versions that somebody kegs. Uh, yeah, we'll just we'll, just so you can get it as high as you really want it. We'll probably um, put some in yeah glass bottles to sit yeah. and wait for later. But yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm just having a lot of fun um, stretching those limits of things that I think are exciting and you know, I, we've made a chamomile beer, a rose, a rose beer this year. And it's been really fun to sort of have our customer base really accept the wild ways that we're messing with lager, mostly because they're excited about lager beer. And 
we do make a lot of things that are very true to style, like our German pills and our Hellas. I feel very proud of that. We're working really hard to get that into the most authentic version of itself and the way that we want to brew it. But I don't know. We're, we're just having fun and I'm messing around with American hops and, and lagers like we talked about earlier and just really trying my best to um, stay excited. And I think that, you know, after being in innovation for so many years, there's a lot of different points where you feel really crippled by um, need to be innovative and creative. And, you know, right now I've been just feeling um, really inspired and really creative and kind of running with that while I have it. <laughs> You have some guardrails, you know, to work in to give some structure to uh, to everything, also, and yeah, some of all that. Too. Or like logger ethics, right? Like we're not going to do anything gross, and not going to do anything. I mean, sorry, I shouldn't say gross. We're not going to do anything that wouldn't. You know, we're going to use good quality ingredients and healthy fermentation and our best decision making processes along the way. We're just trying. We're trying to make really fucking good beer. Well, I think that's a great place to bring this to a close. Choose G&D Chillers on your next expansion or brewery startup and receive one free year of remote control and monitoring. ProBrew's engineering team prides itself on providing true customized turnkey solutions. Old Orchard is the go-to source for fruit-forward ingredients for some of the biggest names in the craft brewing landscape. Omega Yeast's diacetyl knockout series is comprised of eight familiar yeast strains engineered to knock out the formation of diacetyl before it starts. ABS Commercial are proud to offer brew houses, tanks, keg washers, and preventative maintenance parts to brewers across the country. Secure your brewery accelerator spot right now at breweryworkshop.com. SS BrewTech is dedicated to an engineering-first approach to brewery equipment and powers R&D. Some of the world's greatest breweries, Christian Hansen's SmartBev range of frozen liquid yeast and freeze-dried bacteria allow for consistent performance and high quality. If you've enjoyed this episode, Go to beerandbrewing.com, click on that subscribe button. I mean, we've got great video classes with people that you've mentioned over the course of this podcast. Jake from Westbound and Down, teaching a video course on uh, on brewing West Coast IPA. Um, we've got an upcoming, we've obviously got Kevin Davey on the class that's out now on brewing cold IPA. We have one up and coming with uh, with Ben Edmonds, in fact, on oh. uh, on building excellence in the brew house. Hasn't been released yet. You're hearing about it right now. First place right here. Um, but you want to be a subscriber and hear about... Uh, Hot news. I know. Hear about Ben's uh, Ben's approach to building excellence in a brewing program. Um, obviously, I've talked to uh, Sam uh, from Von Ebert several times on the podcast. Absolutely brilliant. It's kind of excited about... Uh, Von Ebert and, uh, and those folks taking over the, the ecliptic spot and uh, keeping that going. And Big you know. moves. He's uh, decommissioning and getting ready to move his brand new brew house into uh, that space too. So big, big times for that whole team. It's very exciting. Anyway, lots of ways to explore and follow all of the conversations and all of the other rabbit holes um, that we have started to put you on through the course of this conversation just by subscribing to Craft Beer and Brewing. Um, Natalie, if people want to learn more about Wayfinder and the beers that you're making at Wayfinder, where do they taste them or experience them or find out more about them in the digital space and in the real life? Yeah, so you can find us at wayfinder.beer and on Instagram at wayfinderbeer. And we distribute in California, Oregon, Washington, and through Crooked Stave in um, Colorado. I can get your beer at my local grocery store. It mm -hmm. felt like such a treat when I saw that uh, on the shelves. Anyway, thanks for talking to me about brewing. It's been uh, a real pleasure to dig into your brewing mind. I forgot Arizona. 
Arizona Arizona too. too. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't forget Arizona. You're important. Um, You can just also find it there. Well, all right. Great talking with you. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those who love to make and drink great beer. To learn more or to subscribe, visit beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew.